0: Uh, Parsha's Kadoshim begins in Perakites chapter 19. Here we go. Um, so, our Parsha begins. Right? Hashem spoke to Moshe Lamar to say over to Klaus Yisroel. Daber obere Yisroel, speak. With the expression of daber, to speak, is more of a firm expression. The word amar, to say, is soft. The word vayedaber, daber is to speak, right? To say something, you say it softly. When you speak something, it's firm. It's firm. You can call it a little harsh, a little more, a little more intense. So it means there's the, the message that's to be given over now is like an important message, not to be taken lightly. Daber, I'll call adas B'nai Israel. Speak to the entire assembly of B'nai Israel. Okay. Now, if it's an assembly, Rashi immediately jumps in for us. And Rashi says, an assembly lets us know that the entire Parshas Kedoshim is meant to be said when the people are together. Moshe was not supposed to instruct us individually. It actually had to be at a time where we were all together. Okay, we had an, um, is a seat available right there. Okay, thank you. So, where we're all together. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that all of Klal Yisrael is together at this time? Say, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Sometimes you can say something important and people get the message and then they walk away. They say, you know what she told me? Do you know what he said? Do you know what the teacher said? Do you know what the rabbi said? Do you know what the, you know, the boss said? And what's the response? If I would have been there, I would have had a good answer. Right? I would have come up with a good savara. I would have come up with a good logic as to why he's making a mistake. If I'm not there, I have every excuse in the world to play what they call Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, I'm not there. So there are certain times where Moshe is commanded to have everybody there so that there's absolute understanding and you can't possibly have somebody later coming along and saying, oh, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know. Somebody later coming along and saying that uh, there's a deficiency in the word. So everybody had to be there. And here's what you should say to them. Kedoshim to you. You shall be holy. Those are the words. Now, why should we be holy? Why, why is there an obligation on, on uh, the Jewish people to be Kedoshim? So the word Kedoshim we're translating as holy. But interestingly, the word kadosh does not really mean holy at its root. Know what the word kadosh means? Kadosh means separated. It means separated, right? Now, so you're going to ask, what about havdalah? The word hevdel is to create a separation. So what's the difference between the word kadosh, which means separated, and the word hevdel, which means separated? Interestingly, kiddush and havdalah accomplish the same thing. It's a statement separating the weekday and the Shabbos. But by kiddush we separate from weekday to the Shabbos. By Havdalah, we're not elevating anywhere. We're actually going from Shabbos back into weekday. So that's the difference. When we say Kadosh, it means separated in an elevated way. The root of the word Kadosh means separated, but it's also hinting to us something elevated. Uh, Now it's Shabbos. Shabbos is different than Friday, but it's elevated. Saturday night, Shabbos now going into Halachic Sunday, it's called Havdalah, because we're not elevating ourselves in a way of separation. So when Hashem instructs us, Kedoshim to you, He's letting us know that we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be elevated. There's something unique and special. Ki Kedosh Ani Hashem Why? Says Hashem, why? You know why you should be holy? Because I'm holy. Okay? None of us ever expect to be God. So we're doing things because I'm holy. You should be holy? Come on. What does that mean? So we'll hold that question for a moment. I want to read... F- two more verses together Okay First verse says Why be holy? Because I'm holy Second verse Here we go Or Pasad Gimel Ish A man should fear His father and, his mother and father Puts the mother before the father Very important message in that And the Gemara explains to us When it comes to respecting It actually says es avicha ve es Respect your father and your mother when it comes to fearing, fearing doesn't mean to be scared of. It means there are certain things that we have to do to be in awe of our parents. It puts the mother before the father, and the Gemara explains to us because, as a regular, as a standard generalization, more people are, uh, you know, have a a sort of distance from their father than their mother. So when the Torah is instructing us about about being in awe, having fear It actually puts the mother first Tell us they're both equal That even though in most people's nature they, they might view their father more distant But also things that are closer to you You have to fear as well You have to be treated in a, um, in, in a way where there's awe When it comes to respect It says respect your father before your mother Because as a generalization People are able to respect their mother more than their father Sometimes women are more are soft and the children connect to that more, so they may come to, to respect the mother more than the father. So it says, Therefore, it puts the father before the mother? Okay, be it as it may. It says, Fear your mother and your father, and and uh, protect the Shabbos. And how does this verse end? I am Hashem your God. Same ending as the previous verse. Let's keep going. Don't serve other gods. Don't make molten images so We have three verses in a row The first one telling us to be holy The second one telling us to respect our parents and keep the Shabbos The third one telling us not to have uh, Not to turn to idols, have molten images They all end off Okay Fascinating first three verses Let's see if we can get past this In the time that we have Here we go So let's go back to the first instruction. Speak to Bnei Yisrael, v'amart and say to them, "Kiddoshim to you. You should be holy because I'm holy. So listen to the Medrash. The Medrash on this pasuk, the Medrash in uh, Vayikra Rabbah, what we call the Medrash Rabbah, the main Medrash, the big Medrash on Chomish. I'll uh, quote it in Hebrew first, then translate it. It says the Medrash, this is in Chaf Dalet in 24. Yochol Kamoni. I might think, oh, I need to be holy like God. I'm, I'm God there were people who convinced themselves they had godly powers. Tom would Lomar. So the verse comes to teach us, "Kikadosh Ani. You could be wholly compared to me. Now, when you're comparing somebody to somebody else, you're saying that the thing that it's being compared to is the best. That's the best. You'd be like, oh, you have an incredible musician. And now there's somebody learning to play music. You'd be like, oh, they are, they are like. This, right? That means that's like the pinnacle. That's what it, So says the Medrash, you can't be as holy as God. Why? Because it says, because I'm holy, meaning any holiness should be compared to me. <coughs> Hashem says, I am the pinnacle of holiness. Nobody can ever be as kadosh, as separated as Hashem. Okay. So a few things on this. First, let's get a little Hasidish. Okay. So, Rebichil Michol, Mizladutov, he says, why does the Torah teach me this? You, have to. you can't be like God. I mean, how how uh, narcissistic are we? I'm God. God's holy? I'm holy. Oh, come on. I mean, no normal person's ever going to think that. Why do you got to teach me this? So he says like this. He says a beautiful idea. He says the message is not, is not that um, you can't be like God. We know that. We know that Hashem is the pinnacle. Rather, he says, read the whole verse together. This is amazing. With the Medjus. The medjus says... I might think, be like me. Talmud Lomar, therefore it says, because I am holy, which we translated before as my holiness, is higher than yours. I mean, you can't be like God. He puts the common in a different place. He says like this, he says, no. God says, my holiness above in heaven. Mi schem is dependent on the holiness and the and the uh, power that you do here in this world. Which is a fascinating idea. Kadusha Si You want to know how much kadusha exists in the upper world? Mi Kedusha How much Kedusha? And you know, we say this whenever we go to Shul and we're in the Chazan's repetition. We say Kedusha. How does the Ashkenazic Kedusha start? And Sephardic also doesn't necessarily always start like this. But they use a very similar expression. And we say we will sanctify your name in this world, the same way they're sanctifying your name in the upper heavens. We're comparing what we're doing down here to what's taking place in the upper heavens. And therefore, says Rebichil Michal of of Zlodotov, uh, he says, it's, that's the idea here. It's not that, oh, the message is you can't be like God. I know that already. But Hashem's t- the, the verse is giving us a message. You want to know how much holiness exists in all realms of existence whatever we do down here that's that's uh, one message that you see from the makeup of this pu I saw today uh, a, another beautiful idea in this from the Satmava the Sat Marebbe, um points out that you know in in, uh, pre, in our previous partials in uh, chapter 16 verse 16 Parak design, plastic design. Hashem says, Hashochein itam, I dwell in you, mitoch to masam, with all the impurities, with all the impurities that a person has, and this is going to get around to the three verses, we're going to bring this full circle, I'm always dwelling with you. I'm always dwelling with you. So says the Satmar Rebbe, a person is going to say like this, listen, if I should be as holy as God, and I'm supposed to emulate God, I'm supposed to emulate Hashem, so whatever Hashem does with His holiness, I could do so if Hashem dwells amongst the impure, I could also dwell amongst the impure. Says the mikedusha I have an elevated level of holiness that I'm not impacted by impurity. But you don't try this at home. <laughs> right? If there's impurity out there, like keep your space. That's how he says, it's not telling me that I'm not that our, our holiness can never reach God. We know our holiness can never reach the separation of God because God's beyond the, the physical, right? We don't believe that God's going to come down as a person in a body. It's, such a thing doesn't exist, doesn't happen. However, as far as my holiness is concerned, my holiness will remain untainted, perfect, even amongst the impure. But when it comes to human beings, we don't try that. We don't try that. If there's impurity there, we're taught to stay away. Okay. Now, this blends beautifully into these three verses. There's such a fantastic and profound idea over here. It's amazing. All three verses ended with the words, Ani Hashem lokechem. Okay? I saw a beautiful, what we call a mahalach, or halach means to go, beautiful approach on, on what this is. I love sharing this every year. Parsha's Kedoshim, it's amazing, about the sequence. There's three groups that the Jewish people could be broken into. And to each group, each verse represents a different group. And to each group, Hashem says, "Ani hashem I am Hashem your God. The first verse we read is, You should be holy because I'm holy. That's group number one. There are people who are Kedoshim. That's who they are. They're holy people. God says, I'm their God. Ani hashem the next verse says, Fear your father and mother. Yeah, There's a group of people. They respect their parents. Perhaps they even keep Shabbos. Okay? Again, what does Hashem say? Okay, you're not the holiest. You do what's, you do what's right, to do. I'm your God. I'm with you too. I'm in you too. And then the next group. Do not turn to worship idols, nor should you make molten images. There's a group of people who go out and they serve idols. They serve with the Zara. And they turn people against Hashem. Everything wrong in this verse. How does the verse end? Ani I'm still your God. You're not running away. You know, the, the joke they say, this guy, the, there's a Jew fed up with anti-Semitism in Europe, comes to Ellis Island and he decides, he's telling everybody he's a Christian. Right? So he comes to the passport control and they say, what uh, what religion are you? He says, I'm Christian. <laughs> you're Christian Ashkenaz, you're Christian fired. You're not going anywhere. All right? Like, give me a break. All right? So, so you're going to turn to idols. A yid is a yid, is a yid, is a yid, as they say. A Jew is a Jew, is a Jew, is a Jew. Uh, and to each one is Hashem says, I'm Hashem, like, hey, I'm Hashem, your God. Now, if this is how Hashem's treating them, we should keep that in mind too. If there's a balance you have to know. Again, you can't we we sh- can't be impacted by any sort of impurity that's out there by tuma and things like that. But the way that we view each other and the way that we view Klal Yisrael, the, <laughs> the way the Torah is established is: listen, there's three groups over here, and Hashem says I'm still their God. Well, if Hashem's saying He's still their God, they're still our brothers and sisters, and that's something that uh, it it's uh, important for us to um, to find out with. There's a, I shared a, a couple of years ago in the Drush, I believe it was four or five years ago or so, uh, the, there's a well-known story the Gemara Naboduzara brings about Unklis Hager. The Unklis, one of the most fav- famous uh, converts, he became one of the Gedolim, and it has to do with, with our Parsha, this is a Gemara in at Abu Dazarah on page 11a. Listen to this Gemara, it's fascinating. The Gemara says that the, the uh, Roman governor found who was Unclus's uncle. Unclus came from a uh, family of royalty, and uh, he found out that Unclus, his nephew, had accepted the Jewish religion, and he beca- not only accepted the Jewish religion, he became one of the foremost Gedolei, Hadar, right? He opened up a Chumash it's gonna have Unklus on the side, right? Or in the art school Rashi, it's gonna be right here on the bottom. Any Chumash you open up is gonna have Rashi and Unclus. So thank God Uncles converted, otherwise we wouldn't have had um, all of this, uh, all mm-hmm. of this opening of the worlds of Torah. So he's beside himself, it's an embarrassment to the family, and he sends his first group of soldiers to bring Uncles back to Rome in chains. That's what, this is all the Gemara. The is telling us a story. Bring him back to Rome, I want him in chains. So this, this is the Gemara says, we'll go through it fast and then we're going to see the explanation. So this says the first group of soldiers came and they talked to him and he's, and he's telling them about religion. And they were so impressed, this is Gemara, they threw themselves at, their, at his feet and they said, we also want to become Jewish. Okay, so his, his soldiers didn't want to return. So he sent another group of soldiers, brave warriors, says the Gemara. And this time he said, don't talk to him, you just arrest him and bring him back. Okay, so the group comes to uncle says the Gemara, he received the royal messengers. He says, I know my uncle must have told you not to talk to me. Don't talk to me. I just have a question for you. You know, in the Roman court, who carries the torch for whom? The com- and he answers his own question. The common soldier carries it for the officer. The officer carries it for the general. If you could kindly tell me who does the emperor carry the torch for? That was his question. So they couldn't hold back from answering him. And they said, nobody. The emperor is the emperor. So Uncle says, yeah, but let me tell you something. You know, when us Jews were in the desert for 40 years, God held the torch for us with the pillar of fire. By us, God holds... Take Fine. So they started crying, and they, they said, we want to convert to your religion. Fine. They don't come back. So it's, uh, the emperor says another group, he says, don't ask him questions, don't talk to him, nothing. Ignore him. So they come, and they start leading Unklis out of his doorway in chains, and he joyfully kisses the mezuzah, says the kumar And he looks at them, they didn't say anything, but he looks at them and he says, you should know, by you, the emperor sits inside his palace and has guards outside protecting him. By us, we sit inside and our emperor, God, sits outside with his mezuzah and make sure our homes are taken care of. And they asked him, says the Gemara, to become students of Torah. That's the Gemara. Okay, very nice. We're, listen, we're Yidin, we're Jews, we believe, we, we could somehow grasp this. But says Rav Shloyme of the Levracha, passed away uh, maybe uh, 14, 15 years ago, a tremendous tzaddik, lived in Eretz Yisrael, a big Bal Moser. We have a Sfarim Ali Shur here on our shelves. He has a great, He says, "Listen." He says, "All right, fine, very nice Jewish propaganda." That's all it is, all right? Emperor Uncles. He's not happy. So, everybody comes. Every religion's got stories like this. Yeah, and somebody had a dream, and you can't believe it. It must be this religion. He says, "It sounds like Jewish propaganda." Like, come on. That's his question. See, listen to how he goes back into each word of the Gemara, and listen to how he explains amazing this amazing, amazing explanation of this Gemara. This whole everything's worth it for this. Unklis, he says, kept his, at all times, once he converted, he actually kept a chumash open to Parsha's Kedoshim with him at all times. That's what he lived by. Our Parsha. The holiness of the Jewish people. Once he converted, this was his Parsha. This became his baby. The first group of soldiers came, and he's sitting there, you know, picture, let's let's make a, a fake picture, yeah? He's sitting there by the fire, he's in his recliner, he's got his chumash, He's got a warm tea, yeah, and they come in to arrest him. Fine. And he's sitting there, he's a big tzaddik, and they say, we came to get you to bring you to Roman chains. And he says, okay, do you have holy people? They said, of course. So he says to them, who's holy? They said, our priests, our ministers, they're all holy. So he says, what makes them holy? What's holiness in your world? What's holiness? What's separation? And they said, well, yeah, you fast, you don't get married, you stay off of alcohol. Yeah, you have to make sure, you, you separate yourself. So he says, "Well, wow, it's an amazing, amazing commitment. Can everybody in your religion do that? They said, no, that would be ridiculous because then nobody would have families and then the whole religion would fizzle out after one generation. Can't do that. So Uncle says, oh, that's so interesting, you know, the second verse in Parsha's Kedoshim you know, uh, he, it says, you know, tell every single member of the Jewish people and say to them, you're obligated to be holy. Not you're not if you're a priest, not if you're a rabbi. How's it all possible? So he says, let me teach you something. You know what holiness is? Do you know what Kedusha is? It's not by separating yourself from the world. By the Jewish person, holiness is when you actually live in this world to the fullest extent if you involve yourself in business and family and mingling with people, but you understand the boundaries, when you fear your father and mother, when you own, you go into business, but you make sure you give miser, you make sure you tithe. When you leave over the corner of your field, your stalks, everything that's there. Yeah, when you make sure, when you walk in the street, not to speak lush and hurry, you don't gossip, you don't slander. As we're going to see soon in our Parsha, you don't bear a grudge, you don't take revenge. Says the Torah, let me explain to you what holiness is. That's holiness. When we walk into schnooks and we smile at somebody who we don't really like so much. That's holiness. And says Revolba, this first group of soldiers heard this, and they were like, wow, well, one second. You mean we, it's not about a position. It's about who you are and what you do as a person. That's holiness. And therefore, sensibly, they said, please teach us more because we need more meaning. We're not just living, right now we're just living for our emperor. We need to know how to live for ourselves because that's what Judaism is to live for yourself. To have my own relationship with HaKadosh Baruch. Hu. Okay, fascinating. The second group of soldiers comes. And remember, what was Uncle's question? He, he said, don't talk to him. He says, okay, who holds the torch for whom? Who does the emperor hold it for? Okay? So he, he has his Parsha's Kadoshim, his favorite Parsha, with him. So he says, who holds the torch for who? They said, we all hold it for the emperor. He says, well, Hashem holds it for us, and He says to every person, Kedoshim to you, you're the one that's holy. How is it possible? So he says like this. He says, every mitzvah that we're commanded to do brings holiness, brings a connection. When you honor your parents, He asks the soldiers. Hashem says, you know, respect and honor your parents. Does Hashem gain anything from that? When Hashem gives us a mitzvah to not bear a grudge, does he, is He getting anything? There's nothing for God. Nothing for Him whatsoever. The mitzvah of taking meister, taking care of the orphan, the widow, the convert, no, so anybody without a support system. You know what these mitzvahs are for? The person. It's building me as an individual and God gains nothing from this? Which means it's the mitzvahs of Hashem that are there to give us light. We're not doing mitzvahs for Hashem. Hashem gives us mitzvahs for me, for myself, to become like Hashem. Everything that Hashem does is for us. And they were like, wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, one, one second. You mean we're not, ser- we're not doing this to, for a purpose of serving a God that needs our service? Rather, God's doing everything that he told us. All the commandments in the Torah. Really, he gains nothing from. So why, why do you do it? For me, so I could be more godly, and then I'll have more happiness, and I'll be more... Wow. Oh, okay. Like, and they stayed, and they wanted to study more. The third group shows up. Don't talk to him, don't look at him, nothing. He reaches up, he kisses the mezuzah, and he says, oh, by us, God's on the outside. What, and they stayed again, what does that mean? Says of Oba. Generally, it's the ruler of the palace, of the home, of the community, of whatever it is that sets the tone, right? If the boss in a business wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, everybody better tiptoe on eggshells and get their coffee when he's not looking, right? Because whoever's in charge is going to set the tone. But by Klal Yisrael, says Unklis, by the way, you should know, the way it works by us is that we run the show. God doesn't run the show. We run the show. How so? Because we know, says Unclus, that Hashem is merely our shadow. God is tilcha. Hashem says, you know how I'm going to deal with the world? Dependent on how you deal with the world. If Claudius Yisrael is doing the right thing, so everything will, work, will function properly. If we're not functioning properly, so the world is also not going to function properly. And therefore... He's telling this, he says, what do you mean God's on the outside? God's like waiting on the outside. We're inside, deciding we're actually running heaven and earth. Depending on our on our actions, that's who's, that's who's running the show. And that's the opportunity that Hashem offers the Jewish people. And says Revolba, that this opportunity blew them away, and they also asked to become Talmidim. So what you see from here is a fascinating thing. Besides for just being an incredible Gemara and, and an understanding of our Parsha, but this what this demands of us is not that oh we're a jewish people who uncle's not saying oh look the jewish people are the best we're the we're the elitists we're the best in the world eh all right when we look at each other we realize that yes bar Hashem. you know there's a lot of so many special things that go on because baruch Hu says beni every jew is considered my most precious child but what we have to realize is that Kedoshim to you obligates us to make ourselves holy. That's what it's doing. It's it more than elitism, it's responsibility. That's what Unklus, that's how he understood Judaism. It's a responsibility. And that's what he was, and that was the opportunity that he was offering, um, that he was offering these soldiers as well. Okay, let's keep going. Don't make molten images. Um, I skipped the Pesach? No, Don't uh, don't t- don't turn to alilim. Alelem are are these idols. I just want to share one one more thing, is that um, you know in Shema we say We're not supposed to stray after our hearts. and after our eyes. And Rashi says that your heart only desires what your eye has previously seen. If your eye is, uncon- if, 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 if I'm unconscious of something, if I don't even know something exists, so then I'm not going to desire it. So first the eye, the eye sees that there's such a thing in existence, and then your, um, your heart can turn towards it. And therefore the Torah here says a fascinating expression. The Torah says, Al tifnu, don't gaze at, don't turn to El alilim. It doesn't say don't worship idols. It says don't be so interested. It's a fascinating to which is, right? It's, you'd think don't serve idols. No, not, it's altifnu. We have to even be careful. There's such a deep idea. We have to be careful what we are willing to expose ourselves to. Sometimes we feel, we touched on this in Perkyabas a little bit, and we didn't really come out with so much clarity on this, but like, is every piece of knowledge good? No, we know that. Every not. What's the balance? That's where it gets shady, right? Because sometimes you have to know something in order to know not to do it. And okay, so you know, but we would be we would be foolish to try to expose ourselves to every idea out there when it could just awaken the wrong things in a person. And therefore, the Torah says, "Al tifnu, don't even don't even turn." Okay, when you bring an, uh, an Offer sacrifice to Hashem. We're now in Pusakay. We're now in verse 5. Lirtzon Chem, according to your own rutzon, this is referring to the rutzon of the Jew, of the person, tis Bechuhu, you should slaughter it. What does that mean? That when you serve Hashem, it should be at a point where I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I want to do it. I'm doing it because I want to do it. I'm not doing it because I am. Um, I'm forced to do it. It's something that I, that I really want to do, I'm gonna, get a, I'm gonna take a, a unique angle on this, take a very unique angle on this. When I was um, in the fifth grade classroom until a few years ago, I had the merit to teach uh, the fifth grade Torah prep boys for seven years, and uh, everybody in the school knew I was like the biggest, um, uh, I, I gave out incentives left and right. Right, I'm just chucking stuff at them. And it bothered people, it bothered some people, you know, whatever it is. And there's, there's, a, there's a conversation, you know, there's a conversation uh, to be had. But here's something that, that it, it's a much broader conversation than what I'm going to put together now in a couple sentences. But one thing's for sure. It's not healthy and you're not going to get anybody anywhere in life to get them to do something because you're going to give them a soda, a Slurpee, whatever, a bigger prize. But if they know that you care about them, you're there for them, you love them, so then the incentive can be a springboard off of that to re-emphasize the relationship. And to inspire the relationship. But it can never be about the incentive itself. It has to be more about the that you you're concerned. I, I care about you, I'm concerned about you, and therefore I want to give when you love something, you love something, you want to give it it. Right? You're generous with it. So it's not like do this, if you do this, I'll give it. That's not healthy for anybody, right? You're doing it for a soda. Do but if it's about a relationship and the way to keep the relationship. Fun, inspiring uh, Is you could also throw A Slurpee in So that, to me, I don't know Other people say, uh, okay, to me that's, very, that's healthy and that's fine And that's why we would do it like that When, uh, you know uh, Again, for 5th graders, high schools Might be, uh, and college Might be a little different, although uh, Yeah, might as well quote him publicly uh, But uh, My son's in a yeshiva now um, where they give out a lot of incentives. They give out a lot of incentives. And um, when I brought him f- for an interview in the yeshiva, the yeshiva is an am- amazing, amazing person. And I saw a sign up where they were, if you come on time to Shachris, whatever, the, then they give the kids cash. They give you cash. If you come on time to Shachris for like the next 40 days from here, you get like $100, okay? So, and like this is high school. So I sat down, and was a, there, she was a, a very close student of my father. My father would never go for this, never go for this. <laughs> so I said, "I said, I said, you know, um, I got a number of questions. Here's one." I said, "I'm going to sound like my father. Why are you giving lollipops for being normal?" Or doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, for being normal. You're yeah. a yeshiva. You show up to shabbos. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are you incentivizing them? See, so said I. Don't know that you're wrong don't send him here. Instead, this is what he tells me, and I couldn't argue with this. He says, instead, send him to, he named me a yeshiva, he says, your son will go to shachris because your rebbe, his rebbe will pressure him. Or he can send him to the other yeshiva that he went for an interview for, and he'll show up because of peer pressure. Or he could send him here and he'll show up because of money pressure. <laughs> what, what do you care? Either way, what are you, he's doing at Shem Shemayim? He's in ninth grade. Leave him alone. He's a 14-year-old. He's a kid. Wait, you think he's showing up on time to chakras because he loves Hashem so much? We don't even do that. We're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, till 120. We have a hard enough time. He says, so when the kid's in ninth and 10th grade, you know what? So, you give him a little bit of an incentive. Again, this is type of yeshiva where the, the, the kids really, it's an amazing koach that this yeshiva has. They do everything to please him. They love him to pieces. Like, the, the greatest thing they could do for, they, they could do is like, they just want to, he has a real relationship with them. So it doesn't, it, it like, once I realized that, it doesn't bother me anymore. Because there's so, everything goes so much deeper than than uh, the incentive itself. This Pesach is telling us a fascinating idea. And it's, it's letting us know that the proper way to serve Hashem, when you're going to bring a shlomim, a peace offering to Hashem, you know how it ultimately needs to be done? Lertzon Chem. The healthiest way to serve Hashem is with your own individuality. Because I want to have a relationship with Hashem, which goes back to our Thursday night um, our, our Thursday night uh, class that we had last year on uh, Bovavi Mishkan Evna. Maybe we'll have a chance to restart it in Hashem. Um But it's about me and my personal Lertzon Chem. This is what I want to do. I have a personal relationship with God's brother. That's Lertzon Chem. That's why the the Torah is instructing us specifically with uh, with this word. Okay, uh-huh. let's keep going. I want to skip a little bit because we're almost done, and we got to talk about vahaflo yachakamuch. We got to get there. That's our that's our parsha, and there's a unfortunately and unfortunately. A very limited understanding of this verse because it is such a. There are so many subjective ways to understand those words. <inaudible> means love your friend like yourself. Okay, love your friend like yourself. It sounds nice. Nobody's going to argue on that. Yeah, you can't argue on on uh, such a thing. Except the question is, what exactly does it mean? And it does not mean that the world should only have, um, you know. Uh, Giving and love And nothing else can ever exist It's not what it means And you see that in the actual words The actual words actually Are a little counterintuitive It says Love your friend like yourself So that means I'm, I'm, It's all about me right? Again You're comparing me to Hashem It's all about Hashem If I'm comparing anybody to me That means I'm still about me Love your friend like yourself So I'm, I'm really the main thing here so is it about just giving and, and nothing that has to do with me? Or is it kamocha, is it really about me? How exactly uh, does it work? And what's the balance? Because we have to deal with this every day. We have to deal with it every day. The way that Rabbi Friend uh, would, would present this question in his unique and incredible way, when he spoke at a Tishbev event uh, quite some time ago, um, he said, well, if I buy myself a Lexus, all my neighbors will line up around the block, you gotta buy one for me too. Oh, it says in the Torah, if you take care of yourself, you've got to take care of everybody else. You think that's what it means? It doesn't make any sense. So what exactly is it? But we just, this type of thing, like we hear the puzzle, we all know this puzzle, one of the famous, took up in the Tyrell. You know why it's famous? Because, it, because every person can take those words and just make it subjective. But we know that the Torah is an objective statement. It's demanding really the, the same thing on all of us, and that we're supposed to imply it according to our, our unique lives. So first thing to notice is, kamocha. Kamocha means that I have rights, not like American rights, but like I have the obligation to function. And that's the Gemara, the well-known Gemara, where there's a dispute between Bar kapara and Rabbi Akiva. People only know Rabbi Akiva's. Uh, explanation, but if two people are in a desert, there's one canteen, and if they both drink from the canteen, they'll both die, or if if the owner of the water drinks it by himself, who'll reach a yeshuv, who'll reach a destination, the other person will die. So Barca Kapara says, you should both drink and both die. Better to not see the death of your friend. That's Barca Kapara's approach. And Rebbe Kiva says, absolutely nothing doing. It's forbidden to do that. Whoever owns the water, is whoever owns the canteen, is obligated to drink it himself. The Torah says, v'chai achichi imach, your friend, your brother should live with you, which means you're obligated to live and then you take care of your brother. And who said this? Rabbi Akiva. And you know who Rabbi Akiva is? On our verse right here, in, in, um, in verse 18, Rabbi Akiva says, oh, you know what the biggest rule, the cloud God of Torah, the big rule in the Torah is? Love your friend like yourself. Oh, and he's the same one who says, no, you drink the water. <laughs> right? You drink the water. No, don't worry. Better one person lives than two people die. Then he says, so we really need to to grasp what this is i'll just share an idea that has to do with Chinuch, but applies to us in in how we handle situations as well when people are are givers it's very hard to know when to stop and it's very hard to know where you know how much to give and and you know once you start feeling like you're getting a, taken advantage of you have to stop you can't keep you know you can't keep giving if you don't have it's very important uh, message, something that, that we really need to take with us. So a story I share very often from my mother's Zechariah Lebracha, is that when we were moving back from Eretz Yisrael, so my mother bought Yaakov, my oldest son, a uh, little tyke's red ride-on. You know, like you sit in, you know, red and yellow and you sit in it and go with your feet and he must have been like three, yeah, two, two and a half, three years old. And we we're still living in Eretzl, we're coming back, we're like moving back to the States, we were there for Pesach, and my mother, you know, we, we walk in, and I was like, oh, Yaakov, I got you a little tight scar, he's all excited, he's all pumped, you know, he's two and a half, three years old, and he sits down, huh? and all the cousins start coming over, and there's a new toy in Bubby's house, so they also want to turn on the toy, and my kid ain't giving that thing up for nothing, this is a Rolls Royce, you know what I mean, I can't, man. he's not sharing, No. Eh, eh. So, I'm trying to be, you know, he's my oldest. And when you're you're when you're the oldest, you are your parents guinea pig. You're, every stage every stage that you reach is brand new. I told this to my older kids all the time like I apologize. I've never been here before. Okay? I've never been here before. Like we're going to do this. We're going to work this out together. And I'm going to let you make some mistakes, but you better let me make a lot more mistakes. <laughs> because ultimately I'm the father and what I say goes even if I'm wrong. So, um so, you know, my oldest kid, I'm like, Ma, I got to teach this kid to share. Get out of the car. Right? You got to... Yeah. And my mother said, absolutely not. She said, there's a reason why babies come into the world with clenched fists. Because the Torah says, kamocha, And at the first stages of their life, you have to let them learn kamocha. You have to let them learn kamocha. You're you. He doesn't need to share yet. Take a chill. Relax. When he gets older, you know, and he starts school, four or five years old, you'll teach him... You know, guests start getting served first and then when they get a little older, you'll teach them to share, to help their friends with homework. But right now, let him learn kamocha. Let him learn like, you know, it's his car, it's fine. Like, leave him alone. You don't, he doesn't need to start sharing when he's three years old. Take it easy. That's what she told me. It was, it was very, it was, it was profound. It's important. And sometimes in an adult life as well, we also have to learn that it's not only an age stage. Sometimes... You can't only have dollar l'reyacha. You can't live like that. The Torah doesn't expect us to live like that. To just love your friend. The, ver- the, the way that most people understand it, the verse should have stopped. V'ahavta You love everybody else. What's the word kamocha? Kamocha is t- actually teaching me the best way to love everybody else. You know why? Because if you just love everybody else and I myself am not taken care of, everybody loses. I can't, I can't give more than I have so and that's why it's not a contradiction when rabbi akiva the holy rabbi akiva says that you know what your life has to come first but there's a cloud godoba torah there's a big rule in the torah of vahafta it's not a contradiction because part of the ability part of having the ability to give is knowing that you also need to be taken care of otherwise you're not you're, you're simply not going to have uh you're simply not just not gonna have the uh the ability to give. Okay. Um interestingly, we'll just end off with this it's a nice idea to uh to throw in, and that is you know the word ahava, aleph vase Hey. He. Okay, ahava, uh aleph is one, V a uh, he is five, that's six, vase is plus two, eight plus Hey is plus five. So eight plus five is thirteen. So ahava to have real, um, real love and isn't Ava of somebody else, 13 plus 13 is 26, which is the name of Hashem. Um, if you have a one-sided love, Hashem's not there. There's really a two sides of love that has to be there. And this, this applies to many different types of relationships. And uh, again, I'm going to stick on this point and hold it here. I'm going a little over time. Um, but the Rambam says there's three levels of love. Three levels of love. It's not a love class. But it says something very interesting. of What it means? To love your friend, What does it mean? It's a fascinating thing. He says, and each one's called love. But he's, in, internally, like when I think about like, loving and caring, and by the way, also, they could keep going on about this. You could love somebody and not like them. Very true. Don't think just because you really love somebody that you like them too. You could love somebody and abuse them. Because you love them. That's the excuse. What do you mean? I still love them. But you don't like them. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't like them as a person. You don't like what they bring to the table. You could love somebody deeply and completely dislike them. Interesting idea. So the Rambam says there's three levels of love in ascending order. There's a love which is there for companionship. People, it's hard to be lonely. So there's there's a love because you know I can now I can now talk to somebody else. There's somebody else you know to go out with, and that's that's love. That's fine, but it's a it's a um, it's it's a love where it's it's each of us are there really so that we ourselves are taken care of, which is fine. But that's understand the level. That's that's the that's the first level. Then there's a level of love. which I remember how he calls the ahava. Of uh, toelos, above of where it's a love that we can each we can each appreciate each other. Okay, what that means is, um, according to the Rambam, one of my my sister Brucha Skolnick who lives in play, she, she was she. She shared with me that she she works with couples, younger couples. You know, some people are into I and mean, She deals with couples after they're married, and you know, helps them like smooth things out. Um, and she shared with me that there, um, the way that she knows whether the couple really loves each other and cares about each other, and this is for us to know in our own friends with friends and anything, is. You know if somebody cares about you when you make yourself vulnerable enough to be taken advantage of and that person instead of taking advantage supports that's how you know if the person's really there for you it's not still not the deepest level of love okay but how do you know if somebody really cares about you it's not just friends if you're able within the conversation to make yourself vulnerable that enough to be taken advantage of. And instead what that person does Is they show up for you Okay And that's what the Rambam actually calls The the middle level Then there's a higher level He says a fascinating thing Which he calls An ahava of ma'ala Ma'ala literally means Like something elevated Is when you look at Is when you're able to look at Another person And you notice Their special uniqueness And that's what you see so, in, I I love the person to a point where I, when I look at them, I just see generosity. When I look at them, I see patience. That is an even higher level of being there for somebody. It's a now it, it does no, none of this can happen right away, none of, except for the companionship part, right? We can go to the mall together. That's fine, you know. It's, that's a phone call, but none of this happens. If it's. It's a fascinating way that he puts it and how we can personally learn at what point our relationship is at and something else to, to try to strive for and to look for and, okay. Fine, we'll hold it here. Any uh, Any questions, any comments?